0: What is going on as the sports ethos clippers podcast coming at you on a wednesday between games two and game three as the clippers lost last ball game so the series is tied at one apiece i am brandon marcus hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are when you do listen to this i am very pleased to have an old friend back on the podcast you hear him all the time on the Lob the Jam pod. He's a part of the 213 Hoops Network, and he just does an incredible job breaking down everything that happens with the Clippers. Justin Wilson at LA Clippers Film, back on the Sports Ethos Clippers podcast. Justin, what's up, my guy?
1: What's going on? That
0: was an awesome intro, man. <laughs> Thank
1: you. Thank you. you feel okay about myself hearing that. Thank you so much. Thank, Happy to be on.
0: Hey, listen, I'm happy to boost your ego because it's well-deserved, and so I'm excited. No, stop. Hey, listen, it is. <laughs> it is. Uh, and you are one of my favorites to have on the podcast. It's always great talking playoff basketball, especially with you. It was awesome last year, and we got a chance to do it the year before as well. And here we are with the Clippers tied at one game apiece. And I want to start by looking at the game yesterday before we even look at the game tomorrow, and I, I know that they'll kind of go hand in hand because we'll talk about adjustments and stuff like that. That's one of the topics I want to cover, but I think the main takeaway from yesterday's game as the Clippers had that 13-point lead, and it seemed, okay, well, this would be great if they could just put the foot on the neck of the Suns and pull away and win this game and go up 2-0, but you're p- playing a very good Suns team, and we knew that was going to be the case coming into the series, so I think that really the biggest takeaway for me from yesterday was the jump shooting of the Phoenix Suns. And it's pretty obvious. And I'll spit out some numbers. And these come from various different people. Justin Russo at Fly by Night was one of them. Also Law Murray does a great job with the athletic. So the Suns shot 72% on mid mid-range shots yesterday. 21 of 29. 32 for 50 on non-restricted area twos. That's 64%. Meanwhile, the Clippers made 35 shots total when the Suns made 32 On non restricted area twos. So I'm curious to get your take, Justin, on the jump shooting because there are two schools of thought. First one is if you're the Clippers, all right, well, that's a little unsustainable. Um, Just keep letting them shoot those jumpers and see how it falls. And then the other school of thought is well, this is a really good jump shooting team. I mean, Booker, CP3, and KD are three of the great shooters when it comes to mid range shots here in the NBA. Do you really want to live with that? So how would you answer that one? Because you saw a Clippers team that just got jump shot to death yesterday. Curious how you saw it from your perspective.
1: Yeah, I mean, so for starters, um, you know, I think it's fair to acknowledge that even by Phoenix Sun standards, um, last night's game two's game was kind of like outrageous um, and honestly, for through two games, what they've done from the mid range has been kind of outrageous. I think they're scoring like sixty percent of their of all of their points from the mid range this series. So,
0: or, or, or I'll give you the numbers. Yeah, so they shot seventy two percent in game two. They were twenty one of twenty nine in game one. They were eight for twenty seven on mid range shots. So that eight for twenty seven is pretty on par with what they we usually see because the Bulls led the NBA this season with eight mid-range field goals per game, according to law. The Suns had 21 mid-range shots in game two. So they are 13 points above the leader from the NBA this season, which I think it's more of a game two thing than a game one. But yeah, I mean, they didn't shoot very many threes in game one. So you're right in terms of that it's been mostly mid-range for the Suns.
1: Yeah, and so like... Stylistically, this is who the Suns are, um, just kind of exacerbated a bit, and um, I think that's partially due to the Clippers' defense. I mean, um, I, I tweeted this out um yesterday that you know they put them on the line 33 times in game one, that number came down to around 14 in game two, they're not letting them get to the rim. Um, I, I just I would hesitate to um, make any dramatic changes defensively, given the given the outrageous shooting that they displayed um, last night. I mean, so the way I look at it is, if they shoot twenty one for twenty eight from the from the mid range, and they shoot that for the rest of the series, you just lose. Like, there's no real adjustments to that because otherwise if you if you react violently or harshly to that then other leaks start coming up right so you 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 try to go five out but if you go five out then you run the risk of being killed on the boards and then to me that's like one of the clippers biggest advantages that they have to nail in this series is the activity on the glass so i don't know if i'd react too hard to what um to what phoenix did yesterday um maybe maybe you for like um a couple of minutes you may w- want to get a look at what um a centerless lineup looks like maybe or maybe not um my biggest takeaway is the offense this series and before the series um i was i really felt confident in the clippers defense because the suns don't challenge you in a way that like other teams do right like you're go- the reason why we had a chance to win the game yesterday despite um Them shooting outrageously is because they don't shoot threes and they don't get to the rim. They don't have any kill shot ability. And so that led me to believe that we'd be pretty okay defensively. It's the offense without Paul George that I have like real concerns about. Can we score enough, you know?
0: Yeah, and I, this is why I brought you on. Because when I say in my intro that you're one of the best minds, you just hit all five of my bullet points that I want to discuss oh, today. And so we'll go in order. And so mm-hmm. the mid-range, um, obviously, is the first thing that we're discussing here. And so you think the Clippers should just kind of stick as is. And I do agree. And the reason why I do agree is because you're playing a numbers game here. And if they're going to continue to shoot twos and you, you are going to shoot threes, then even if they shoot a high percentage from the two-point range, all you have to do is shoot a okay percentage from three-point range, and you're right there with them. So right. it, once you start to go after them and stop those twos, which... Sure. I mean, KD is going to make a free throw line jumper look like it's a 95% shot every single time. Like, those are high percentage shots for those guys. But I'm confident that Chris Paul is not going to continue to make some of those that he was making. Because, frankly, he just hasn't hasn't shot the ball very well this year. And he's a good player. There's no doubt about that. But these guys are going to get some wear on their legs as the series goes on. Because you can't realistically play 45 minutes a game during the playoffs and expect that in game five and game six, those legs will still have that burst that you want them to have that you, in games one and two. Like it's just realistic. it's most likely not right. going to happen yeah. with those old legs. So go ahead and see how those jumpers end up falling as the series goes on. So I'm with Especially you Especially the turnaround between games three and
1: four, yeah. seven 30 Thursday and 1230 Sunday. If you want to play them 40, if you're going to continue to play them 45 minutes a night, yeah, I, I, I don't. I'm with you. I actually don't see that as a real viable thing that the Phoenix Suns are going to entertain. Otherwise, you could see a true regression.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that's going to happen. I mean, you mm-hmm. would you would assume that there's going to be somewhere in between what they did in Game One, which was eight of 27 on mid range, which you do quick math. I mean, that's under 30 percent or so versus 72 percent. Like if they go 50 percent, let's say they go 14 of 29. Like, that takes away 14 points from what they had yesterday, and immediately, all of a sudden, it's basically a tie game. So you'll live with that, and I think that uh, I'll be curious to see what the Clippers do, and I think that kind of goes hand-in-hand with another one, and that's adjustments. You brought on the adjustments, and you talked about that. Monty made his by not using that Booker plus the bench lineup that he used in Game 1 that was dreadful. And it pissed away the lead in Game 3, or rather in the third quarter in Game 1. And it just looked garbage um, in the first half of Game 1. So he got rid of that. And he used Booker and KD together. We also saw CP3 return with KD. We saw Booker and Ayton together. He made sure there was at least two of those four guys on the floor at all times. And that was really important to what the Suns did. Because it wasn't going to work with that bench, especially with campaign out and we'll see if he's available for game three. And I th- certainly think that would help the Suns a lot to have a backup point guard and a second ball handler on the floor. Um, but that was their adjustment, and that's one that you tipped their mm-hmm. cap. I mean, it was a really obvious adjustment. Everybody was talking about it in game one. So the question is, does it does it make sense with these guys? And we, we just brought up the age, and so I'm going to bring up a question that came on Twitter from Trent. He said, does it make sense to speed the pace up? given the minutes the sun's big four is playing. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on that because this is a Clippers team that frankly is not very young, but you do have guys who bring energy in Terrence Mann, Russell Westbrook bones. Highland. We'll talk about him in a little bit. Cause I know that you think he perhaps should be someone out of the rotation as we had towards game three and four, but does it make sense to speed up the pace? I mean, I'm not against opportunistically
1: speeding up the pace. Um, if you can do it, sure. I, I just don't think the nature of this series um, lends itself to that with, you know, the people, the guard, the players in our rotation, um, you know, Kawhi Leonard and Zu and Nico Batum and like, you know. I get it. We have, like, guys like Russ and Terrence who can, like, fly and play at a real fast pace. But I don't know if that's best suited for us. I mean, our best player doesn't like to play fast. And if he doesn't like to play fast, um, I think that could be, like, problematic as far as, like, increasing the pace to an uncomfortable point.
0: Yeah, if that makes so, sense.
1: So, I mean, yeah – I, I I suppose the Clippers could stand to um, to play faster, but playing faster also lends itself to more turnovers. I lean more towards um, being more of a methodical matchup hunt, take smart shots, don't turn the ball over, and you know I and I lean towards that. And I think you can achieve you can't achieve that playing at a breakneck pace. So. Um, you know the Clippers are a slow team by nature, right? They're one of the more they're one of the oldest teams in the league, and um, yeah, you have to play to your strengths. And I just don't think that that is a particular strength for this team at um at this time of year.
0: Yeah, I think when you roll out you know? the bench lineup of like Man and Westbrook together, that's maybe when you can go ahead and and pick up the pace and, and see what that does against that Booker lineup. I mean, you look at the start of the second quarter. Booker was in for a little bit, but they brought KD and they brought CP3 back in. Perhaps you can try and and bring the pace up a little bit with Kawhi sitting to start that second quarter, um, and that's maybe something that we see. But I'll, I'll be curious to, to see what the Clippers do at the start of the second quarter tomorrow because it seemed to be an adjustment that the Suns made, not having those Booker plus bench lineups um, at the end of the first mm. and the start of the second. What do you think the Clippers need to make any adjustments like that going into game three? And we'll talk a little bit um, about actual rotations, but uh, apart from the rotations, do you think that they need to make any real adjustments when it comes to their game plan?
1: Um.
0: Yeah, n- not, not, not too dramatically.
1: Um. They were, they were like, 10 for 31 in on threes in game one and shot almost the exact same thing in game two and so what that tells me and also you know tory craig is one of the league one of the um leaders in scoring for the suns this series and so what that tells me is that on both sides of the ball you're kinda of getting the desired results, right? Like you want Tory Craig shooting the ball over their four superstars. You know what I mean? You want DeAndre Aiden shooting foul line jumpers instead of being at the rim and on the glass and things like that. And your desired result would have probably led to a 2-0 lead in a series if Nico Batum was an ice cold, if Norm Powell was an ice cold from three, if we got a better, uh, if we just performed better offensively, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I know it's only two games, but our offensive efficiency, if this were an 82-game season, would be bottom 10 in the NBA. Um, And so, that that just screams to me that the biggest adjustment um as simple as it is is to make shots and force phoenix to beat you three more times that same way that would be that would be like my biggest adjustment make shots and that may mean that may mean changing the edges of the rotation a bit you know, um, I don't think that's beyond what I don't think that's beyond tie. I'm sure that's something that they'll look at at some point. But the biggest adjustment to me is to not shoot 10 for 30 from three and to have someone make open shots the way that Torrey Craig is doing, you know?
0: Yeah, I do know that. And and uh, that is one of my bullet points <laughs> that I wanted to bring up and to add to add some numbers to what you're saying. The Clippers were six of 13 on threes in the first quarter yesterday. After that, I believe they are five for 17 the rest of the game. So they had one more make in the first quarter than they had in the next three, and they had four more attempts as well. So the the three ball just certainly didn't go, and it's glaringly obvious that the Clippers are not going to win this series if they're relying on Kawhi and Westbrook to do everything in in every night. It's just not going to work because, A, Westbrook's not going to have the shooting game that he had in game two. Like the... Some of that is sustainable. Right. Those attacks at the hoop are certainly sustainable, but some of the jumpers that he was hitting, it, they're not. And then also, you look at what's happening right now with Powell, Batum, and Eric Gordon, and Batum can't hit the backside of the barn. I think he was one for three in game one, and I believe zero oh for four in game two. Like one for seven from that spot in the lineup is not going to cut it. I mean, that's why Marcus Morris was pulled in the first place Mm -hmm. is that he wasn't contributing offensively and he wasn't hitting his shots. And so Batum one for seven is not going to cut it. And even more importantly, Norm Powell, who is so good towards the end of the season has just been awful in the month of April. He is two for 20 on threes in April. He has made two threes and I believe seven total games, maybe eight games. He's just been really bad. And the Clippers aren't advancing to round two if Norm Powell shoots that poorly. And you gotta think, Justin, that going back home will help these guys like mm-hmm. Eric Gordon, Norm Powell, and Nico Batum. It seems like that's an easy fix just going back home. Because realistically, they can't win a series without those three guys shooting well. You agree? Yeah, I definitely hundred and ten
1: percent agree with with all of that. You know, you hope that uh you hope that you get some home cooking, um, and uh you 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 make some shots. Um, the good thing I think about this series, though, is that you know, for as great as the Suns are, um, they kind of showed their hand. There's not much else to the Phoenix Suns as far as like offensive complexity or defensive complexity. Um, with the way Kawhi is going, they're not gonna they're not gonna leave certain guys on him. Um, if we match up or if we match up Hunt in the right way, they're gonna send two, and that's gonna leave our shooters open. And that's what's happened. The problem is our shooters just haven't made shots. But generating open shots from three has not been the issue for the Clippers. It's making them so. um, If if we—that's what I meant by like the adjustments for me may may be like relatively minor because we're generating the shots, Um, and that's part of why we were right there in Game Two as well. So um, make shots, and I I think we have a different outcome. But if you're a Clipper fan, you've got to be encouraged. By how well we've been able to get clean shots offensively.
0: Yeah, and it feels like you look at this matchup right now, and really the only big difference between the two teams is that the Suns just have more guys that can make jumpers. Like they, they have more guys that can score flat out. Like when you look at CB3 mm-hmm. and KD and Booker, like you're you're seeing a glaring miss with PG sing on the sidelines for a couple of reasons. The first one, obviously, would be to take that scoring load off of um, Kawhi Leonard. I mean, that's obvious. Like You want to have somebody on the floor when Kawhi isn't. And even with Kawhi, that helps them out. Because we were seeing double and triple teams going at Kawhi starting in the first quarter yesterday. And they were relentless. And the Clippers weren't making shots. They need someone out there that can make shots and spread the floor out. And the Clippers have those three-point shooters, but PG is one of the best. And so to have him out there would be huge. And on the defensive end, I mean, when we did the series preview and I was talking to Shane Young, we were talking about Devin Booker and we were going matchup by matchup. We went Aiton versus Zoo. We went CP versus Westbrook. We went Kawhi versus Durant. And then I said, well, here's the issue. Booker versus who? And that was always going to be the wild card was if Devin Booker – could reach his capability. And he didn't do it in game one, but he did it in game two. And when he scored 18 points in the third quarter, it was a very much a, hey guys, like I'm here and you got to figure out a way to solve me because it is not easy to stop KD, CP3, Booker, and Aiden. Like it's not easy to do that. And so Booker wasn't talked about much coming into the series. It was mostly all about KD. And it's, I really feel like this team is going to go as booker goes and it it may seem a little odd to say that when it's a team like kevin durant but that really feels like that's going to be the case for me justin no that's not odd
1: at all um i think stylistically um booker is the closest phoenix sun that gives us problems when it comes to foot speed um for as great as kevin durant is um, he's not going to blow by guys and draw two. It's very slow, very methodical, much like Kawhi Leonard. He's going to get to the mid-range and he's going to rise. And there's nothing there's nothing too complex about that. There's not much you can do about that. Booker is a guy who, um, he took seven threes yesterday. He's a willing three-point shooter, even though the mid-range is his bread and butter. He will, if you're in drop, he will pull up from three in a way that Kevin Durant does, doesn't. He'll also... He's also more likely to venture to the front of the rim as opposed to KD and CP. So um, Durant is obviously the better, more accomplished player. But in terms of the style that gives us more fits... Um, you could definitely see why Devin Booker would be more um, problematic. I mean, you saw it in Game Two. Um, Kevin Durant had an isolation with Kawhi Leonard on at the top of the key, and you know there was there was nothing there. We 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 handled that pretty well. Um, the same was not for uh, Devin Booker last night. You know, so I I I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Um, he is the wild card, so to speak, but um, he's also the guy out of their four. Their, There are four superstars that I worry the most about because without Paul, we don't have a viable one-on-one answer. And and to be honest, defense is team anyway. So even with Paul George, we would have to um, figure that out a bit. But um, yeah, he's someone whose foot speed and kind of motor would give us real problems as opposed to Katie's just mid-range jump shooting.
0: Yeah, and I think that's when you kind of want to play Terrence Mann some more. Um, I I think that Mann would be certainly Mm -hmm. a guy I'd Mm -hmm. like to throw at Booker. And yesterday we saw him play 25 minutes, and I think I'd like to see that closer to 30. Um, I I think he needs to be on the floor a lot more when you have a guy like Booker cooking, and you know the other guys are there, and we talked about the matchups in terms of KD versus Kawhi, CP3 versus Westbrook. I want to have another defender out there on the perimeter because – you need to stop or at least limit a guy like Booker when you know the other guys are going to try and get theirs as well. So I'll be curious to see how that adjustment is made. And that kind of brings me to a point that you started to bring up when we began this podcast. And that was possibly tinkering with the rotation a little bit. What tinkers do you want to see? Because there's been a lot of talk about Bones Highland and where he fits on this team. And I said a while ago that I didn't see a role for him in the postseason And then I did change my mind a little bit as he did improve in that final week of the season. And he looked like a guy that was bringing burst to a team that was dead and that needed his energy. I'm not sure the Clippers need his energy right now because they've looked pretty good. I mean, Westbrook has been that guy that has inserted that shot of adrenaline to this team that they've needed. And if Bones Highland's going to get those minutes um, towards the end of the first quarter and start the second, I think the only way he's going to be able to get minutes later on is if he's able to make his shots in that first stint. And if he's not hitting his shots and he's like, for example, a one for five or something, he's probably not going to play a whole lot because he's not great defensively. That burst is obviously great. It's nice to have him with the athleticism. But if you're not going to go back and forth, then in a half court set, he probably doesn't make as much as much sense as he would if you're flying back and forth down the court. Um, What are your thoughts on Bones, and what are your thoughts on possible adjustments? Because you and I, by the way, were talking before this series about Bones Highland, and I said I could see him as a guy that doesn't play a whole lot initially, and then maybe in Game 3 or Game 4, you need that jolt, and he plays a little bit more. And you said... I see the opposite where he gets that run and then the rotation perhaps gets shrink gets shrunk. Mm-hmm. And that's when he gets cut out. And so I actually went back to that series against Dallas uh, a couple of years ago. And I noticed that that's exactly what happened with Ty Lue. He was nine deep in games one and two, and then he went to eight in game three. So I'm curious, do you think that happens again here in game three against the Phoenix Suns? Yeah,
1: I do. I do.
0: Um, Bones he was
1: playing Well to end the season And he was legitimately helpful For us so it's hard to completely Cut somebody out of the rotation In game one when they were helping You in game 81 and 82 Right so if you were in the Rotation in games 81 and 82 Um game One is not the time to Completely flip your rotations You know what I mean so um, I was pretty confident that he'd at least Get a look um for, for you, kind of hit the nail on the head with Bones. If he's not making threes, he's kind of just not a playoff player right now. Um, and I say that with all with as much as much affection as possible. There was a play yesterday where he completely lost sight of his man, like like just went right backdoor through him there was another play where he tried where you know he had some success with chris paul but there was another play where chris paul's grown man strip just kind of rode him all the way out of bounds and he ended up turning the ball over um and you know and he's not making threes and i don't know what bones highlands value is for us right now if he's not making threes and through two games, he hasn't made, he hasn't made his shots as you've said. And I don't know if the Clippers can gamble on him making his threes in games three and four, given the defensive deficiencies. And, you know, I mentioned it the other day. Phoenix is still because they, um, because they have only played with Kevin Durant nine, 10 times right now. They're still in a state of data accumulation. They're still figuring out how they want to play. And I think in game three and four, if you see bones, they're gonna they're gonna be even better at targeting him in multitude of ways, whether that be pick and rolls, cross screens, his man attacking the glass. Um and so yeah, I just don't I don't really see a place for him. Um but that's okay. Like you know, he's a young guy. I, what is he? 20, 21 years old. Um, you know, second year in the league. Like, I'm. I'm. it's okay that he's not a playoff player now. Um, you know, Ty did the right thing in my opinion, gave him a shot to see if maybe he could swing a game. Unfortunately his shooting wasn't the case. Um, I did like some of the bursts that he showed as far as getting by like Chris Paul, but you know, all in all, this comes down to threes and we need guys that can make shots and he can't make shots right now. And we can't gamble on him making shots, making his shots in games three and four, given how bad, um, he can be defensively. So, um, I'm, I'm hopeful that bones can be even better next year, but I think this is kind of a huge spot for him, um, to, to play. And, You know, you mentioned how Ty went from nine to eight um, the last time we were in the playoffs. I think that's the question that, honestly, I don't know. I'm interested in seeing if Bones is cut out of the rotation. Do you keep a nine-man rotation and maybe throw Mook or Roko? Or do you go completely down to eight? Um, And that's something that
0: I'll be looking at in game three. Just to add some numbers to Bones Highland, he's 3 of 13 so far in this series, 1 of 7 from 3-point range. So, it just offensively so far, not cutting it. He certainly can't have a Bones game. like That is possible. And I'm glad you brought up Roko and Mook, because my co-host Matt, Matt Warren had a question that said, do Roko and Mook get used next game? Do they get dusted off? And Ty said before the series that Marcus Morris would be used. And he has not been used so far. And I really think it's just foolish for us to even bring up Robert Covington. Um, I feel like if Robert Covington <laughs> if Robert Covington was going to be used, he would have been used by now. And there have been so many times where he has proven during the regular season that he makes a lot of sense for this team especially defensively, active hands, especially in a guy against a guy like Kevin Durant. It'd be really nice to have a guy like Robert Covington and have a guy like Robert Covington who is shooting damn near like 38%, I think, on his threes. Like he would be a great guy to have. If he's not being used by now, I don't think he's being used. So I think the question is, does Bones come out and does Marcus Morris come in? Because I got to tell you. Justin, if I see that lineup again of Russ, Bones, Norm, T-Man, and Kawhi on the floor together, it, I'm gonna puke because it made no sense. That made no sense whatsoever. And you and I talked briefly after the game in Game One, where it was really obvious that what the Clippers have been bad at is small ball. Like that, it's just been bad because the Clippers mm-hmm. refused to use Roko, Batum, Kawhi. Two of those, th- two of those three have to be on the floor at all times, and they just don't do it. And so because of that, their small ball looks like absolute crap. And what they did in game one is Plumlee and Zoo combined for 48 minutes. Zoo played 30. Plumlee played 18. You got rebounds. You had a massive rebounding end. You got a ton of offensive rebounds, and you played good defense. The Clippers abandoned that, and I hate that they do this all the time. When they're winning, they do it. Will they possibly go small ball when you need to get stops defensively? And even when they're losing, they go to it, and it's like you need to get stops. Like you need to get mm-hmm. rebounds, and they do it all the time. So the question is, do we see a Marcus Morris perhaps in a small ball lineup? Um, or do we, do we see him at all? Like, Does he make sense to bring in? Because I have a feeling that if you're going to go ahead and swap Bones out perhaps, Marcus Morris may make some sense if you need to do something offensively.
1: Yeah. I mean, the idea of Marcus Morris and how the Clippers see Marcus Morris um, definitely fits for what the Clippers may need in this series. Right. Um, I don't know if I I don't know if I would agree with that. Like if it were me, it'd be Rocco. Right. But of from the Clippers, from, but from the Clippers vantage point with Paul George out and you're struggling with scoring. There's a 68 guy who can in theory shoot 40% on threes and be a source of shot creation like yeah yeah that that in theory makes sense and that's why that's one of the main reasons why I think Lu said he saw a role for Mook in this series because it didn't take it didn't take much to see that the biggest issue here would be scoring without Paul George Right. Like there's going to be moments where Kawhi Leonard is not on the floor and like he only played 39 minutes last night. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, without that, it's like, you know, you kind of need you need as many. It's all hands on deck. You need as many guys on the team who can score to be available. And so. I would not be surprised if in game three or in game four we saw um we saw a look at Marcus Morris, especially if Nico Batum has another game where um he goes 0 for 4, you know. So um yeah, and but I I'm, I've I've spoken ad nauseum about Marcus Morris throughout the year. Um I think The biggest issue with the Clippers, not the biggest issue, but you alluded to it. I don't like their small ball look at all. One of the reasons why I don't like it is because especially without Paul George, they don't rebound that well. And, you know, I thought that secretly was one of the main reasons why we lost on game two. We Mm -hmm. got out rebounded. We didn't get out rebounded in game one and we won. Right. Like Russell Westbrook had like five offensive rebounds in game one. We were we smashed them on the glass. And so um you rebound. I think I think in the playoffs thus far, teams who've out rebounded their opponents are undefeated. And so um for me, I know Ty Lu is definitely going to poke around with the small ball look. I know it um maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but I, I don't I don't want to go away from the two center lineup. I need, I need, I need all hands on deck as far as making sure that we win the rebounding battle, but we'll see. But in regards to Marcus, I'm almost certain we're
0: going to get a look, especially if Nico Batum continues this way. So here's a question for you. Is there a possibility at all that the Clippers make no changes in their rotation from game two to game three? Is it possible we see the same nine guys on the floor? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think with the way the games
1: one and two went, um, the Clippers, and I don't think that'd be the wrong. I don't. I don't think that would even necessarily be wrong, right? I don't think the Phoenix Suns have done anything that made um, the Clippers feel like, yeah, we have to abandon this now. I mean, you know, Mason's minutes off the bench as a center wasn't the best in game, in game, <laughs> in game two, but um, other than that. I thought the game went almost according to script for the Clippers, right? They got threes early. They made their threes. And lo and behold, they were up 13, 15 points. They started missing their threes. Phoenix came back into the game. And so I think realistically, I think there's a realistic chance the Clippers can look at games one and two and say, well, if we make shots, we're good. The rotations aren't the issue. The issue is we just need to make shots, and we're going to trust our shooters to be able to make shots. We're going to trust Bones, we're going to trust Nico, and we're going to see. And so I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if that ended up happening. Not at all. I, I don't foresee it that way. I don't think it that way. But certainly for Game 3, I think that it's a possibility that the rotations remain as is.
0: Yeah, that's the benefit of winning Game 1, is that you're going mm-hmm. back to uh, L.A. now, where if you lose Game 2, okay— but you can win game four and all of a sudden it's tied at two again. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see in the first half that we see the same rotations and we see Bones right. come in again um, with like three minutes left in the first quarter like he tends to do and see if perhaps he gives the Clippers a good shift. If he doesn't, though, I wouldn't be surprised to see even as early as the second half that maybe Marcus Morris is, is entered in rotation. I'd be surprised as hell if it's Rocco. I would be pleasantly surprised. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if that as early as the second half is when we see Marcus Morris tomorrow. I think I'd be a little bit surprised if we see him in the first half tomorrow. Um, That would tell me that immediately he wants to have another guy out there that can spread the floor and it may be even in a small ball. I really hope we don't see small ball in the first half tomorrow. Um, I hate small ball. You and I just talked about it, but I think that we may see Marcus Morris in the second half tomorrow tomorrow. But I'm not sure. I'm really not sure, Justin. It's tough because, I mean, when you have the, this many – if you have this much talent on a roster, trying to make it all fit is really difficult. And Ty Lue has done a pretty good job in his tenure as Clippers coach. This year has been difficult. But I think game three is going to be interesting, especially in the second half, uh, What how it plays out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I I – I think um you know
1: having too many guys is a real issue um that was an issue for the Clippers this year um but I think right now at this point he's landed at a rotation that he likes and so um I don't I don't foresee him like changing it all that much um I think it's very apparent that Mook is not in the rotation right now and obviously, he's not a fan of Rocco's offense. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I I'm with you on the um, on the first half point. I could very well see the Clippers maintaining status quo at the at the um at, at in the first half, and then playing it by ear and seeing it seeing how it goes um in the second half. But um you know it's a lot to juggle. It's a lot to juggle for sure. But um I think they have enough pieces there to where if you push the right buttons, um and I think they have if you push the right buttons, um, you can definitely compete in the series.
0: So in game one, Chris Paul played 38 minutes and 41 seconds. In game two, he played 37 minutes and 39 seconds. If he continues to play at that amount of minutes, he's going to break down at some point. It's just the way Chris Paul operates. I mean, and let's go as far back. He played 37 minutes against Denver in his last regular season game. But before that, he was really playing around 32 at most. He had one 34 minute game against Minnesota But the minutes going up to that 38-minute mark, that's a lot. And then you look at Booker and Durant, who played 44. That's a lot to ask of these guys. And I think the Clippers just need to continue to do what they've been doing. They showed in Game 2, even, that it works. I mean, they were up by 13, Justin. They had a chance to go 2-0 back to L.A. They just couldn't get stops. And I'm curious, we talked about in the first part of the podcast... Um, about defending KD and defending Booker. And it, it was really obvious that the Clippers' defense at times looked really bad. Like, Batum was getting cooked. And the Clippers were having a problem when they brought Zou out to handle stuff in the perimeter, where at times he was dropping. And when he was in drop coverage, they were just nailing jumpers over him. And when he went out to contest him, he just was getting blown by one-on-one. Like, it wasn't working. So how do the Clippers change that defensively? Because sure, you can live with the jumpers, but Batum and Zoo just weren't good defensively. And something's got to change there. Yeah. You think so? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not so sure. I mean, if I think Booker and Paul
1: combined to take three shots at the rim yesterday.
0: Yeah. They didn't shoot much at the rim either. I I just mean in terms of one-on-one with Zoo, like that type of stuff. Like, he he's had those moments, you know, against Luca in the past where he's been pretty decent, but maybe it's just the fact that KD was as unbelievable yesterday and he's seven foot and he's a monster and you can't really, not many people can defend him. It just felt like there were so many times yesterday where zoo and Batum just were not able to get in front of KD. And there were times where he was able to create enough space. And when he came out to help out in the pick and roll, I mean, I think Stan Van Gundy was bringing this up. He was talking about the drop coverage, and the Clippers were kind of in between trying to figure out what to do and saying that he was saying you can't go drop coverage against these guys because they'll just continue to hit jumper after jumper against you. But perhaps that's what the Clippers are willing to do is to make the Suns hit those shots continuously. Perhaps that's a strategy.
1: Yeah, Stan definitely knows, he's forgotten more basketball than I know, that's for sure. But I also just don't see what what the viable alternative is, Mm -hmm. given the roster construction, right? Like, I need, I think, you know, I'm a zoo guy. I think he should be on the floor as much as possible. Um, I think he's one of the Clippers' um, security blankets, Um, and so if zoo is on the floor, I mean, perhaps you could, um, mix it up a bit, but like, you know, a couple of those last shots from like Chris ball were like with, he was draining them with zoo right in his face. Um, I, I tend to think that, um, if you go all out to try and solve those leaks, you just open others. And so I'm definitely not saying that you need to concede, um, you need to concede like these mid-range jumpers But there's only so much you can do Without totally Disrupting your your defense And to me Your best defense will always be offense Your best defense will always be offense And I think back to in that fourth quarter where we kind of got unravelled a bit as they were starting to make shots which kind of made or at least it made the um the the mid-range flurry by those guys feel even worse. And so for me, I suppose if you wanted to you could maybe go to a more switch heavy scheme. Maybe you can go 5 out with like Batum at the 5. Or Kawhi at the 5 even And you try to um, Switch everything Or you can try and bring Zoo up even more and maybe you just Completely sell out and blitz And you dare them to um, Find the right guy, the right Open guy. The problem is Is that if you're blitzing CP Then, you know, Book and Durant are out there. If If you're Blitzing Devin Booker, that's Chris Paul and Kevin Durant. If you're Blitzing Kevin Durant, so I I I don't see what what the viable alternative is. I think for me, if they are t- as long as they're not taking pull up threes and as long as they're not getting to the rim, if you can get a really good rear view contest, um, that is about as good as you can ask for. Because anything else, I tend to worry as far as like stretching our defense out um, beyond um, recognizable. Yeah.
0: Good breakdown. Good breakdown. I'm glad glad you brought that up. That's what I was kind of looking for. I was curious in terms of the alternatives that you could do. And I I think the blitz coverage would be a problem because if you go ahead and if you zoo blitzes, then all it takes is one or two good passes and all of a sudden you get some open shots and you get them in rhythm and that's a problem. So uh, you may just have to continue to live with what they were doing yesterday and and see if they can continue to make shots over zoo.
1: Well, I'll, I'll put it to you like this. They were outrageously hot from the mid range right yeah but if nico batum and norm powell make their shots they would have they would have they may have they may would have lost yeah even with them shooting like that yeah so if the goal is to win the game they're not making threes we didn't put them on the line and they didn't get to the rim and so i get it. it feels really bad that they keep making jumper after jumper after jumper and durant is doing this and that but like you know, if you look at their shot charts, they're not getting to the rim at all. They're not shooting threes at all, with the exception of Booker yesterday. And so I, I just hesitate to think that, like, you're not going to stop the Phoenix Suns, without, especially without Paul George. You are not going up them. They are totally capable of going in fuego. They have three of the best jump shooters the game's ever seen. So – yeah, you're going to have to live with some things, and you're going to have to keep the pressure on as far as making sure that you are making shots because as great of a jump-shooting team as they are, it's the Tory Craig versus Nico Batum
0: versus Norm
1: Powell matchups that are really kind of dragging us down a bit.
0: Yeah, no doubt, and I think the Clippers really just need to get more out of Gordon, Batum, and Powell, and if they're able to get more out of those three guys then all of a sudden you can see yourself taking a 2-1 series lead. So we'll see how it goes. Um, You mentioned the tight turnaround between games three and game four, and that also be very interesting to watch as the Clippers were done no favors at all by the NBA. And I'm not sure if it'll be more beneficial to the Clippers or more beneficial to the Suns to go from that 7 p.m. on Thursday to that 12.30 p.m. on Saturday. The Clippers suck in matinee games, but to have those Suns legs, go from being um late thursday to early saturday i mean you can't realistically play 45 minutes on thursday night and then try and play 45 again on saturday like that that could you're asking for injuries that way so we'll see how it plays out yeah
1: yeah man i'm i'm very interested in
0: seeing who gets
1: the benefit of the doubt when it comes to that 12 30 game a lot could be determined by uh tomorrow's game three you know what i mean like um it would be very it'd be <laughs> given how how badly we struggle and matinee games. Mm-hmm. It would be a hundred percent to the to the benefit of the Clippers to make sure they wrap up game three. And I think it's totally possible. I actually think it's possible they can get both of these games. Yeah, given what I've seen, like like the Phoenix Suns. You know, I, I said it earlier in the podcast. Um, they don't have the kill shot ability that like a golden state has where they're just going to break your defense because they are all seeking like three balls and you have to commit so much of your resources to stopping threes that other leaks um, spring out. They don't have that. And so there's a level of comfort there defensively, right? Like you, they've shown their hand. You know, they're, they're, they're picking and rolling pin downs, getting to their mid range and shooting. Right. And so you hope that variance plays your way in those situations and that you continue to generate really good looks. And that's the thing that I was worried about coming into this series. And I'm like 20 percent less worried now. And that 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 kind of changes a lot. Kawhi's ability to manipulate the game. um, He has his handprints All over this series as far as not just him scoring, but drawing two and three defenders and getting Phoenix in rotation. And that's that's been that's been like the biggest takeaway from this series. And if the Clippers go on to win this series, I honestly believe it'll be because Kawhi Leonard is at tier one superstar first team all NBA level, not as a just a scorer, but his ability to manipulate a defense in the way that he wants to it's been it's been a sight to behold and the Clippers the Clippers they're they're in the driver's seat because of it in my opinion
0: yeah and they just need their guys to hit shots I mean when Kawhi gets those double teams I and mean, he's found the He's shown the ability to find the open man. I think yesterday, like in the first quarter, these numbers aren't exact. I think it was like 8 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists or something like that where he was basically contributing all over the place and he finished with 31 points to go along with 8 rebounds and 7 assists. So he wasn't as much of a distributor as the game went on because guys weren't hitting shots and that's allowed, that allowed the Suns to come back. Well, I expected to do about 30 minutes. We ended up with close to 50. Um, so it's always amazing. <laughs> it's always amazing when we, when we get together and chat, man. It's, it's I love getting your insight on what we're seeing on the floor. It'll be fun to see what happens in Game Three. We'll see if Ty makes any adjustments, and we'll see if the Clippers just can get some home cooking and hopefully some shots by Nico Batum can go in. And we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes. But Justin, always great having you on at LA Clippers Film on Twitter. It's a, it's always been a pleasure, man. I I love having you on. It's been great. So uh, thanks for hopping on.
1: Nah, thank you. Thank you. It's, it's, I got excited when I, when, when, when I got the opportunity and you reached out and said, let's, let's, let's talk today because, you know, these, these in-between days are just like they're nerve-wracking, man. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to tomorrow, man. Game three, swing game, pivotal, pivotal game. We didn't, we haven't even talked about this, but like, if you win tomorrow, you guarantee yourself a game six. Mm-hmm. And by game six, um, you, Paul George will be. In, will, will have been like almost five weeks since the injury.
0: Yeah. And you give yourself basically another week or so of um, him trying to ramp up. And what, right. what we've seen recently in videos is he went from standing mm-hmm. still and shooting jumpers to going through an actual workout. And I mean, those steps are in certainly, three days. yep. And now if he can take some contact in the next couple of days and all of a sudden you get yourself a chance to see him towards the end of the series. Not sure if we're going to see it. I mean, all indications have been that we're not going to see him till round two, if it happens, Mm -hmm. but you better be, you better, you better believe that if he has a chance to come back for a game six or a game seven, then he may. So that is certainly a key that if you can win this game three, then it does ensure that you go to at least a game six. So we'll see how it goes. Justin, Always great having you on at LA Clippers Film on Twitter. I'm at BD Marcus, of course, at Ethos Clippers for the Ethos Clippers podcast. If you can rate and review the podcast, always great to have you help out as we try and continue to spread this show and get as many listeners to listen to guys like Justin Wilson as possible. Until next time, he's Justin, I'm Brandon, and go Clips!